0: Philippians chapter 2 this evening, please. Thank you for all your suggestions and your requests that have filled our Sunday evenings now for several weeks. You can send me your favorite passage through a text or an email or tell me about it or hand it to me for treatment on Sunday evenings. We will be in Philippians chapter 2 This evening, we're going to talk about attitude. We're going to be talking about attitude. Someone might say something like this. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. My attendance is perfect. I take the Lord's Supper. I help people when I can. I'm a good citizen. I contribute. I work hard. I do things around the local church. I want you to imagine these things are said sometimes with a strong, defensive, almost sense of pride and satisfaction. This is what I do. And sometimes there seems to be implied a tagline onto that. This should be sufficient. This is what I do. This should be sufficient. We're going to move. A little deeper into this. What must be said is that these are externals. Necessary. Absolutely. Keep doing these things. Yes. But these are externals. God wants our hearts to be behind All of our external behavior. Here's one instance where that is clear. And you shall love the Lord your God, Jesus said, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. See, the external acts or works have meaning only if they are products of a good heart. A good heart directed to God it might be said, a good attitude. So below the line, inside the doer of the externals, there must be these rich spiritual qualities and attitudes that we read earlier in Second Peter 1, we add to our faith, humility, love, gratitude, patience. This is all in the realm of what we call attitude. And attitude is who you really are inside, having to do with thoughts, dispositions, feelings, sincerity, the real person inside. Now, Philippians 2. I'm going to start with a question I think I may have posed last Sunday night when I was handling another requested passage. If you were in prison, what kind of letter would you write? Maybe for many of us it would be brief. Call my lawyer, tell him to get me out of here. Or it might be a lengthy discourse of revenge and depression and irritation and hopelessness. I'll never get out of here. Not the Apostle Paul. The keynote of the Philippian epistle is joy. Now what is that? This is joy. Paul's attitude. It's what was beneath all the external activity of the Apostle. And I noted I think last Sunday night as well the gospel is being preached while he is in Roman incarceration. It's being preached to civil servants and soldiers. He's spreading the gospel inside the prison walls and writing letters to people to continue to spread the gospel outside and doing that without complaint. He's not in despair. He is content to do his work where he is. Then Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi about what their attitude should be, holding before him the highest model, the highest model of good attitude and humility. We're there. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It may be that humility is not well understood. Some of the older translations of the Bible often recommend lowliness of mind and meekness. And I'll tell you, our society doesn't have great interest in those things. There is not great interest in our society in anything that would be called lowliness in mind or meekness or humility. So just based on the trends in our culture, it would seem humility is not well understood and certainly not widely displayed and embraced. But we're not here to talk about society's absence of humility. We must talk about us, about me and about you. Here's the leading question tonight. When you measure your mental frame of mind, your attitude, using the Bible as the standard and Christ as the model, do you conclude that you have what Paul describes in these verses? In fact, it is written not only here, but it's written before and after Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing about what should be a part of my inner character, my thoughts, my attitude, your thoughts, your attitude. So when I study this, the question is do I have this? Do I have what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2? I'm going to help us make that determination tonight And we're going to do that through a study of the text accompanied by self-examination and application. One leading question as each point is made, do I have, do you have what this text describes? The text defines humility and challenges us to embrace it. Let's study it. The challenge of humility can begin with this simple point made in the text. Unity requires it. Unity requires it. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Now look at the combination of terms there. The words and phrases, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. That's unity, isn't it? It is described and required by an apostle of Christ in Philippians 2, writing to a local church. Have you ever been a part of a divided church? When you find yourself in a divided church, what are some of the responses or reactions in your mind? You just want to go away, and many do. I don't want to be here. Many just quit, and that's not ever recommended. An absence of unity among Christians is discouraging for the people going through it. Worse than that, it is offensive to God. You may remember in the book of Psalms 133 and verse 1 how good and pleasant when God's people dwell together in unity. Paul in another epistle said, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The expectation on the part of heaven is that Christians be united. We have the same Father, We're following the same Savior. We're using the same book given by the Holy Spirit. The expectation is that we be united. Here in Philippians 2, Paul highlights how important attitude is for there to be unity. Unity really starts here. Each member, each individual in the group needs to cultivate the attitude Paul describes, Philippians 2, 1-5. It is essential for there to be unity for that attitude to be in me and in you. And the attitude can sometimes be described as unselfish humility. The words and phrases in verse 1 are part of this. Encouragement in Christ. I'm encouraged, you're encouraged by being in Christ. Comfort from love. I have love, you have love as described in Scripture. Participation with the Holy Spirit that guides us into affection and sympathy for one another. There cannot be unity without the humility described by the Apostle Paul. Attitude is an essential component for there to be unity. Specifically, the good attitude described by Paul here. My question for you comes here. Do your current attitudes contribute to the unity of this church? Do my current attitudes contribute to the unity of this church? Now, each one must answer that individually. I cannot speculate about what goes on in the mind of another. I can strongly recommend, based on this text, that each of us inquire of ourselves, does my attitude contribute to unity Or does it undermine relationships and unity with other members? The challenge of humility means we understand what destroys it. What destroys it is rivalry and conceit. Rivalry and conceit. Do nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves." Now there is in our society and in previous civilizations something that might be called healthy entertaining competition. The primary example in our culture would be sports. And in Texas, that's a common topic of conversation and sometimes humor. When we express our loyalties to college and professional teams, even in the academic world, there is sometimes motive that is enhanced by healthy competition. In Texas, there is the whole UIL system that includes arts and sports and academics. And healthy competition. I don't think that's the rivalry Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. No, this is rivalry that has a dark, obnoxious element to it. That puts people down. And is self-exalting. This is more than friendly competition if you're playing dominoes or something. This is war, first conceived in the immature, selfish mind, and then worked out through cold insults or carnal methods or malice and strife. This is composed, this rivalry and conceit of boasting, discrimination, maybe gossip and division. And here's what I have to tell you when I come to something like this. I'm disappointed sometimes when I look on social media. Particularly in the arena of political discourse. And rather than upholding a proposition and engaging in fair debate. It just degenerates into long-term strife. Name-calling. Ugliness. Now, having a political viewpoint, I understand. I have one, you have one. Expressing what you believe, I understand. But going after someone with immature spite and getting so carried away with political debate, you dismiss the attributes of Christian behavior. That's just wrong. No matter what side of the political spectrum, You find yourself, it fosters strife and destroys humility in us, and it never changes anyone's mind on the issues. You ever yelled at someone and suddenly they said, Oh, you must be right? Christians of all the people in the world should know how to fight fair, how to debate someone without letting it degrade into what I used to call junior high tactics, but I'm not going to use that anymore because I would consider it an insult. To our junior high students. I think you know what I mean. Rivalry of the sort Paul condemns. Destroys essential humility. Paul says that this essential humility is critical. In our relationship with God and his people. Conceit. I found this definition. Of the English word conceit. An unwarranted estimation of one's worth. An unwarranted estimation of one's worth. See, our worth is founded in the truth that we were made in the image of God. And have been granted by God the capacity to make right choices, to mature and be obedient in Christ. Conceit kicks in. When we estimate ourselves more highly than the true foundation of our worth. Conceit is described very well in Romans 12 in verse 3. For by the grace of God given to me, Paul said, to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, That God assigned. I remember hearing preachers in my youth say something like this If you could buy people for what they are really worth and sell them for what they say they are worth, you'd be high into profit. Paul wants us to know rivalry and conceit destroys the very attitude that he is describing. Rivalry and deceit will destroy the very attitude being recommended in the text. We need to understand that humility involves active looking. That's how humility is fulfilled externally. Active looking. I'm I'm reading verse 4. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. This is looking not just to yourself, but to others with an active interest in their welfare. One way to cultivate humility is get your eyes off of yourself and on to others and their needs and what you can do to help them. It is well known, even outside the context of Christianity and the Bible, that if you're full of yourself and if you are empty and depressed, one good response is to get up, get out, and help people. You'll not only help them, you'll lift yourself up out of the mire of your depression. Call someone who needs encouragement. Visit the sick. Send out cards. I mean, the old-fashioned. Remember the piece of paper and the handwritten note? Do you know how much people appreciate that? It's at a different level than an email or a text. And I'm not discouraging emails or text send out cards, go pray with someone, set up a Bible study for someone's benefit. In fact, do all these things, not just to lift yourself up, but what are you doing? You're looking out to the interest of others. See, when we are constantly looking out only for self, humility can't really grow and thrive and serve others. Look to others actively seeking their welfare. Look to others and get to know others who maybe don't look like you or don't come from where you came from. In all the Bible, who is the supreme example of humility? Point number four have this mind among yourselves, or it says in some translations, in you. In you. That's internal, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or the King James says, let this mind be in you. You remember where we started tonight talking about all the externals? What's below those externals. What's underneath? What's in you? It ought to be what was in Christ. Humility. Everything you read about the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of his behaviors show clearly his frame of mind being humility. And Paul goes here next God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, where did we start? How did we get into all this? When you measure your mental frame of mind, when I measure my mental frame of mind, attitude, using the Bible as the standard, (coughs) do you conclude that you have what Paul describes in these verses? I need to ask myself, am I a follower of Christ inside In my mind, in my attitude, have I let his mind become what I aspire to internally? Am I a follower of the mind of Christ? I'll tell you, if we will cultivate this attitude of humility, if we will keep working on this internal tone, demeanor of mind, we're going to be helping people and serving God in better ways. Do you know there are people you see here all the time who are fighting battles you know nothing about? And you may know nothing about ever. But if you have this frame of mind if you're looking out not only for your own interest but the interest of others just your attitude Your encouragement will be of great help to these people. Attitudes that please God, contribute to unity, take you away from rivalry and conceit, and that add to your faith. Let's be standing as we sing.